We are picking up now in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Matthew 10, 16. Matthew 10, verse 16. So this is the next event. Uh, we had covered formerly how Jesus had really held them really quite accountable when he was sending out his disciples to minister. And now he's preparing them. So this is the first time his disciples are on, are on active ministry. He's releasing to them this active ministry to send them out. He said, remember, the, 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 the fields are white for harvest, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore to the Lord of harvest that he sends out laborers. So they pray, and God says, perfect. Guess what? It's you who's going out. And so he's sending them out, and he gives them this extreme authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, things that only the Messiah had done prior to that. So this tremendous power he gives them, and they also have a huge responsibility. And so he's giving them this warning about, about the road, the hard road before them. And he says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 10, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about what you will say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So I want you to think about this picture. Look at the picture that Jesus paints. Here he says, this is what it's going to be like. He says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Oh, ho-hum. I mean, think about this. Think about 12 sheep going out and this huge countryside surrounded by wolves. Now, have you ever seen a big dog when you put food in front of them and they're not allowed to touch the food yet? They start drooling and it's like a constant stream of drool. You know, there's really big dogs and you have food in front of them and just and they start licking their chops. This is what the wolves do. When wolves see 12 sheep go out into a field and this field happens to be surrounded by wolves, it's like... Hey guys, it's our lucky day. <laughs> Look in that field, what just came out. There's 12 sheep. And all this drool starts to come down. And they're just licking their chops. This is the picture that Jesus paints. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. Why would you do that, Lord? Send them out as soldiers. Send them out with, with howitzers. Send them out with something. Why do you paint this picture? I'm not sure I like this picture very much. You know, I like the former paragraph where you talked about all this power that we were going to have. Not this sheep in the midst of wolves. Where you're calling us the sheep and there's wolves out there. There is, there is no fight that a sheep can put up to a wolf. They can't outrun a wolf. They just, it's in an instant, a wolf will take them down and it's over for the sheep. That's it. He says, oh, this is what it's like. Here's the picture. Isn't that an interesting picture for the Lord to paint when he's sending them out? So that's what he first says. He says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. 
Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. What do you mean shrewd as serpents? Let me read for you an example of just real shrewdness in how to deal with wolves that are ready to devour from the scriptures themselves, where Paul walked in this. Let's turn to Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, you see this beautiful picture. Now in Acts chapter 26, so that we get, we get an understanding of the scene. I'm sorry, it's Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23, so we get a picture of what's happening. Paul went to Jerusalem to offer up an offering. And, and so Paul was a very Jewish man, and he was offering up an offering. This was not an offering for sin. Jesus has forgiven his sins. But there were offerings that he was making in the temple. And there were some Jews from Asia that had seen him ministering in Asia and accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple compound, which he never did. Titus, being a Gentile, he never brought into the temple compound. Uh, uh, so, Timothy was a Jew. It was okay for him to be in the temple compound. He never brought in Titus. So, there was a false accusation. So, here he had come just to make an offering. He's going to make an offering. And all this ruckus breaks out. And the soldiers come down to deliver him. They don't know what's going on. He goes up to the top of the steps. And the soldiers protecting him. He says, let me just speak. He gives one paragraph of testimony. That's it. And the crowds just want to kill him because he talked about ministering to the Gentiles. So the soldiers pull him back, and the soldier wants to know more about what, why is the crowd so against this man. So remember, he only had one paragraph of testimony. That's it. In all of Jerusalem, one paragraph of testimony he witnessed. And that was in, in, uh, that's in Acts chapter 22. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter, actually we'll read verse 30 of Acts chapter 22 and read onward. But the next day, wishing to know for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set him before them. Paul, looking intently into the council, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law, and in violation of the law order order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people." So here Paul is brought down by the soldiers into the council. This is the, the, the Sanhedrin, which consisted of 70 men and the high priest. The council was made up of two-thirds Sadducees and one-third Pharisees. Pharisees believe, they believe in the resurrection. Pharisees believe in angels. They believe in spirits. Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in angels, they don't believe in spirits. So there was always this running debate between them. Remember, it was dominated by Sadducees, the priesthood was dominated by Sadducees. So we hear a lot more about Pharisees than we do Sadducees, but actually the leadership was dominated by the Sadducees. So Paul makes one statement, he says, Brethren, I've lived my life with a perfectly good conscience to this day. And when he says to this day, it means this day onward. It doesn't mean 
but I really blew it today. <laughs> you know, I really lived a perfect, up to this day, now I really blew it. When, they, when scriptures talk about to this day, that, that uh, it doesn't mean that he stopped that day. Now, how could a man live with a perfectly good conscience? It means that whatever he's done, Paul speaks about his weaknesses from the past in many portions, but he's given that to the Lord. It is a great thing to be living with a perfectly good conscience, meaning I've given that to the Lord. If I were to dwell on all of my failures, I would not be able to get up in the morning. If I were to dwell on all the wrong things that I have said to people, all the mean things that I have done to people, I just couldn't get up in the morning. But I ask God to forgive me, I deal with these issues, and I move on with my life. This is what Paul said, never looking back, but I press on to the upward goal. This is where we must come to, to be able to turn these things over to God. This is why it's great to take the Lord's Supper, to just let the past be the past, ask God's forgiveness, and move on. Paul obviously did that. So when he says that before the council, the high priest, Ananias, commanded that those standing beside him strike him on the mouth. So, he, so actually, Ananias was, was the acknowledged high priest by the Jews. Ananias' son-in-law was already instated by this time uh, by, by uh, the Romans because they didn't, they didn't like Ananias. That's why it talks about two different high priests. One was the one installed by the Jews. Another one was the one installed by the Romans because they didn't really like Ananias. But Ananias had a whole lot of power. Uh, he was the one who controlled the temple compound. He was the one who uh, was in charge of the temple compound when a lot of ruckus was occurring, when Jesus uh, had, had, had uh, thrown, thrown people out of the temple compounds. It was referred to in extra-biblical writings as the Bazaar of Ennis. I'm sorry, the Bazaar of Ananias. Uh, so he told those standing next to Paul to have him stricken on the mouth, have him slapped across the face, which was a violation of the council. The council was not allowed to do this. There were set laws that the council had to observe. And this is why Paul says to him immediately, he says, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? So Paul realizes immediately he's not going to get a fair hearing. They are violating their own rules. They never gave Jesus a fair hearing. They're not going to give Paul a fair hearing. But remember what Jesus said. He says, you know, if they've done it to me, they're going to be the same way to you. So the bystander says, how dare you revile God's priests that way? Paul replies, I wasn't aware, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it's written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. So he's quoting from Exodus, that you should not speak evil of the ruler of your people. And he says, I wasn't aware that's the high priest. Now, we can take that in two ways. Paul never apologized for what he said. Never did he apologize. So we can either take it that, oh, you know, gee, I'm sorry, guys, I didn't know he was the high priest. Or we can well understand that Paul well knew Ananias. He had been there for years and years. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Plus, the way they're dressed, you know they're the high priest. So Paul is probably saying, I didn't know he's the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. Ananias no longer has position. I would not have spoken that way against a leader of my people. I didn't know the high priest is here. High priest isn't here. High priest is Jesus. You know, so you could well take it in that way. Because he never apologized for it. But in this he realizes he's not going to get a fair trial. So now comes the shrewdness. Look what Paul does. 
Verse 6, but perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. So, Paul stands there and he cries out, Look, I'm a Pharisee. You guys know me. I was born a Pharisee. I am the son of Pharisees. Meaning that my father was a Pharisee, my father's father, my father's father. We are Pharisees. <clears throat> I am on trial today for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Speaking of the resurrection. But why was this shrewdness? Look what it, <clears throat> look what it ensues. <clears throat> and he said this, there occurred a dissension among the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the assembly was divided. For the, Pharise- for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. And there occurred a great uproar, and some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken with him. Look what they do. I mean, they take this as an opportunity to jab the Sadducees, who they were always having controversy with. Maybe maybe an angel or a spirit spoke to him, told them this. You, you, you see how this is just... Paul got them feuding with one another. And it says, And a great dissension, verse 10, was developing. The commander was afraid Paul would be torn in pieces by them, and he ordered the troops to go down and to take him away from them by force and to bring him into the barracks. So maybe you think, oh, Paul did so wrong. That was terrible to be so divisive. Well, look, look at what Jesus says. In verse 11, the next verse, But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for you have solemnly testified, solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Jesus, in the prison, stands at Paul's side and starts to minister him. Jesus himself. And says, You have solemnly witnessed of me in Jerusalem. Now you must witness in Rome also. Look at the Lord's perspective. The Lord's perspective is, yes, you did it, Paul. He never said, ah, that was so divisive. I mean, Paul did what he did. This was shrewdness because he knew that he would be shredded by this group that wasn't going to give him a fair trial. So what did he do? He spoke one word, boom, divided the whole group, and it came to an end. That's shrewdness. He said, he said be, you have to be shrewd as a serpent. Yet innocent as a dove. You can do no wrong. You're not allowed. You shouldn't be cheating. You shouldn't be stealing. They should have no accusation against you that can stick. You have to be really careful about your life. Really careful about what you say to people. Careful what you do. But this is shrewdness. And Jesus, look at Jesus' perspective. Paul spoke one paragraph on the steps and they ended it. He spoke one line. I am on trial today for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. You think, well, how did I witness in Jerusalem? He said, Jesus said, great, great sharing. Short message, great sharing. Jesus was just, you know, fist pumping with Paul. This is great. He says, now you must witness the same thing in Rome also. You did such a good job. Go to Rome. Little did Paul know that there would be two years in prison and a shipwreck, a horrendous shipwreck, before he'd ever get to Rome. So when the Lord gives you a word that you're going to be someplace, doesn't mean tomorrow. There may be a lot that's going to transpire that is rough between the Lord's 
The time the Lord speaks to your heart something and the time it's actually fulfilled in your life. But this is an example of where Paul was really shrewd. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter, chapter 10. He says in verse 16, Be shrewd as serpents, yet innocent as doves. We, we have to take innocence upon us. I'll give you some examples. I don't, I don't like to keep software on my computer that I don't own, whether it's music or anything else. And uh, so periodically when it comes to mind, I will say to my group, uh, if we have software on our computers that we don't own, please get rid of it. And if it's software we need, we'll buy it. Let me know if it's software we'll need, we need, we buy it. Because, you know, we have group computers and things migrate on and students, you know, they download from here and download from there. I don't want to have any part of anything illegal. Any part where somebody could accuse me because I know God's blessing is there. When I started out my research group, I made very sure that we bought licenses for everything we used. And my, my colleagues even just thought I was crazy. Why do you buy you know, Microsoft Word for every computer? In those days, computers didn't talk to one another. I said, because I checked with them, and it was in those days for only one computer. Now when you buy a personal thing, you can put it on three computers. If you, not in those days. And I used to buy a separate set, and they thought it was crazy. But what would happen is, the granting managers in Washington, when they had extra money, they would call me. Jim, we have some extra money. Do you need it? God blesses in other ways when you walk honestly. If I were a student and I had music on my iPhone or my iPad or my iPod that I didn't own, I would get rid of it. I don't want it. You do whatever the Lord might speak to you. I'm telling you, I want no part of that because I want God's blessing. If He wants me to have the music, He'll give me the money to buy that music. I want no part of something that I don't own. This is where God's blessing is. He says, you're to be innocent as doves. Let them not have a case against you that could ever really stick. Verse 17 of Matthew chapter 10. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. I mean, think about that. They're going to scourge you in their synagogues. Synagogues were like their churches. I mean, synagogues were not a place for public meetings. That was not to be done in a synagogue. He says, for you, it's going to happen. He's warning them that they're not going to abide by the law when it comes to dealing with you. Jesus gives us warning. Then he says in, in verse 18, And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. You're going to be brought before people as a testimony to the Gentiles. How are the Gentiles going to be shared with? Now, this could not have meant for that period, because there they were only going to cities of Israel. Jesus had directed them. He's talking about periods beyond just this initial thing when Jesus is still there. He's speaking about the future for them. You're going to be brought before them as a witness to them. God puts us sometimes in positions where we have to render account for things as a witness, as a testimony. Oh, it's terrible. You know, I have to be and I have to testify and this and this. Jesus sometimes allows that to happen for us to be a testimony of Him. And then He says, He says in verse 19, But when they hand you over, do not worry about 
how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And I, I heard a great example of this last week. Last week, uh, Serena and I were in California, and we were with this pastor of this mega church, which is 5,000 members, and, and he was telling us this story about how he got this beautiful land on this hill in Roseville, which is just uh, outside of Sacramento, the nicest part of, of, of town. How did his church get that location? He said they had a location at the bottom of the hill with power lines and they had bought this location and it was fine. It was zoned for a church to be there. And then, just before they started con- construction, they got a letter in the mail that there was going to be a city council hearing about that land, whether it could be used for a church. And he's like, uh, we already bought this land. And he talked to each member, five members on the city council, and they were all on his side. So they said, don't worry. You know, you, you, you've already got the land. It was zoned for that. You'll be fine. He got there, and different people spoke of how much this church had meant to them, how much how the marriages had been rebuilt, how important this was to the community to have this church there, to be able to build there. And, uh, and, and this guy had started the church just by setting up a card table outside Walmart. And in his cleverness, what he did is he put up a sign, how to drug-proof your children, no donations allowed. And so people would come up and start asking him, and he'd have brochures, and he'd talk about church and, and, and working with children, and he started it. And today, 19 years later, it's over 5,000 people. That's how he started his church. I mean, just amazing story. So he said they got to the city council, and everyone was in his favor, and then one man stood up from a local company that about a half a mile away had land. And I don't want to say the name of the company, but the company, this guy stood up and he said, we can't have that church there because we may be expanding our company. And we will be investing in this town billions with a B in expansion. Now, that means a lot to a city council and to a mayor. So the mayor was there and the city council was there. So they conferred. And they rezoned the land right in front of them that the church couldn't be there. And he didn't know what to say. He's turning to his Lord. What do I do? And he thought of this verse that God is going to give you when you're before councils. God's going to give you a word. And he's thinking, and he raised his hand. He said, Mayor, please don't close the meeting. I have something to say. He said, okay, Rick, go ahead and say it. So he stood up and he's thinking, the Lord's going to give him something to say in this moment. And he had nothing to say. So he, he said the only thing he could think of was to stall. So he, he started thanking each member of the council for their help, for how much they had taught him over the months in dealing with, in, in, in discussing things with him. And he went to the next person and named them by name. Then he got to the mayor and he thanked the mayor for how nice the mayor had been to him. And he's thinking all this time, Lord, give me something here. Then he thanked uh, 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 the city planner. And then the city attorney. And then he thought it still hadn't come. And he, he was done thanking everybody who was there. And he started to sit down. And the mayor said, Rick, wait a minute. Stand back up. Your church is different than any church we've ever seen. We will help you locate land. He said, Mr. Mayor, we own that land. We can't use it. He said, trust me, we will help you. The end of the meeting, they met with him. They said, Look, we'll get you new land. 
the way it is, is that there were three developers who were wanting to come into the city to develop, to start building in that area, build malls and, and, and uh, big shopping centers. And whoever one of the, the, the developers gets in first has a great advantage because before you get to the second one, it's about six months after that that the second one gets released and another six months before the third. And so he spoke, the mayor spoke to the developers and said, the one who will do a land swap with this church to give them land, to swap land, will be the one who gets in first. He said they were fighting over him. And so he saw this big plot on a hill. This, the, the developer that owned that plot gave him that part so that they could be the first in. And so you see, God worked. You know, He was hoping for a word to really slam them. And all he could think of was to praise them. They were so impressed by that that they said, you're different. You know, this has just been taken out from under you. We've got to work with you. And you see how God just turned the whole situation. God gave him the word even though he didn't even know he had the word. God does this sort of thing. God does this sort of thing. He does this. He does this. You know, one day I I was up. I had invited Hugh Ross to campus. Hugh Ross speaks on this really taboo thing of intelligent design. But he takes it much further than that. Intelligent design is just scratching the surface. And so I sent out this, this email to the whole department inviting them to this. And we had this faculty meeting, not about this, and somebody walked into the faculty meeting and said, I just can't even be here in the same room with Jim after what he sent out to the department. And I'm looking around for another gym because it couldn't be me. I hadn't done anything. I didn't know what he was talking about. And he just started shaking his head. And then the other person chimed in. He says, yeah, this was just terrible email that you sent out. Wow, what email was that? That you're inviting us to this event where Hugh Ross is going to be speaking on campus. On this thing of intelligent design. I'm like, huh? And he, one guy stood up and he said... There are three axes of evil. Child pornography, Holocaust deniers, and intelligent design. And the other guy in the meeting said, yeah, I I can't even stay in this same room with Jim. This was so wrong for him to have sent to the department. So the one guy walked out. I didn't even get a chance to say anything to him. I mean, it's like a gulag. You just say it and you walk out. You can't say anything now. And then the person leading the meeting said, wow, let's just go around and get everybody's opinion. I'd never seen this in a faculty meeting. So everybody starts voicing their opinion on this. And everyone is saying how opposed they were to this. This is not science. This is not... I mean, this is a secular canvas. You can have anybody you want in, I thought. And then one lady says, oh yeah, and remember a few years ago, you gave me a Bible? That terrified me. I'm trying to think, I gave you a Bible. I, I don't remember, but I could well have done it. I give away Bibles all the time. Maybe I did. But it wasn't to terrify you. She said, my mother does that type of thing to me. <laughs> I got you know, caught in this family feud or something. And then, after they got done going around... The person leading the meeting said, we better go around again. And, they, and the assistant professors were scared to speak up. 
Because, you know, here I'm going to be reviewing their tenure. They just left the room. They didn't want to have any part of, of, of attacking me. One guy stood in my, in, in, just said, look, I don't agree with this, but it's a matter of free speech. You know, let the community judge these people. Let them come in and judge these people. So anyway, this guy who just left the room after having attacked me, I just, I had to leave town. They, they said to me, you better go call him. You better go call him and talk to him. I said, uh, he left the room. And I'm supposed to somehow make up to him? Okay, I'll do it, all right? I mean, and uh, so I went to call him. There was no answer. And then I had to leave for California. So I'm, it's just, it's like getting a punch in the stomach. I mean, I just was blindsided by this thing. I didn't know that I'd become a false prophet somehow by, by doing this. So, I got to California, and I knew God was just ministering to me, and I read, uh, just God spoke to me from the scriptures that night, where, where uh, uh, Pilate's wife said to Pilate, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I suffered miserably in a dream last night because of him. And the Lord assured me that that guy who had said these things and walked out of the meeting wasn't going to be able to sleep that night. And I slept like a baby. Got up in the morning, I was going through my emails, and there was this huge apology from that guy, apologizing to the department for his actions, uh, saying that, you know, this was so wrong of me. He even started it off. He says, I wrote a three-page email explaining to the department my actions, and I've deleted the whole thing because I didn't sleep at all last night. And he says that, that I never should have done this, that Jim can invite whoever he wants, and he just... You know, he just, God got a hold of his heart that night. And so the next time I saw him, when I came back into town, I said, I told him, I said, don't worry about it. Look, we all say things we, you know, we regret. Just don't let it bother you. That guy now has become my greatest advocate and my greatest friend. And God has a way of just turning situations around when we give it to him. This is what he's talking about. Allow the Holy Spirit to work, even when counsels will come against you. But remember, He is warning us. If we take a stand for Christ, many people want to take no stand because they don't want something like this to happen. It is much more fun in life to take a stand, to go through something like this, and to have these stories on your resume. I mean, it is so much more fun to watch these sparks fly. And in the midst of it, it's not fun. But as you look back and you see that hearts can even be one in the way that you will respond to these things if you allow the Lord to really speak through you in these times. He is warning us. He is warning us. If we speak up for Him, these things will happen. In this same passage, He said, if they said that I'm, I'm with Beelzebul, I'm the head of the demons, imagine what they're going to say to you. So if somebody should say, I don't like your t-shirt because it says something about Jesus. Don't just go away and start sucking your thumb and feel so bad and persecuted that, oh, I've been so tormented. Just, this is life. This is life. You really need to toughen up and take hold of these passages because this is going to happen in life if you take a stand for Him. If you take a stand for Him, people will say things that will hurt your feelings. And if you don't take a stand for him, people will say things that hurt your feelings. So you might as well take a stand for him. If you speak up for him, there will be times like this. But what I have seen, if you speak up a little about Jesus, 
people will just clobber you. If you speak a lot about Jesus, they leave you alone. Because they're afraid of you. Because they know that you will come at them. Alright? Let's talk about this thing. You've got a problem with Jesus? Let's hear it. What's your problem? What is your problem with Jesus? And what have I done? Has my speaking about Jesus offended you? Good. I won't speak to you any more about Jesus. If it offends somebody else, they can tell me the same thing. But just as you're allowed to speak to whoever you want about whatever interests you, whether it's tennis or football, I can speak who interests me. And they're like, whoa. All right. All right. Calm down. That's it. They never bother me again. If you speak up a lot about Jesus, they leave you alone because they think you're a psychopath. They think you're crazy. They don't want to engage with you. Speak up about Jesus Jesus warns you. Now, you can do it discreetly. You can do it in good taste. You can understand the situation. But let it be known who you are. You can put a little verse on your desk about, you, you, that lets people know who you are as a believer. There are easy ways to do this. And if they want to restrict you, you say, well, my company would never allow me to put a Bible verse on, your, on my desk. Then they have to also restrict people from putting anything that is not work-related on their desk. No book, nothing. So most companies, they, they don't mess with that. They don't mess with it. If you learn to walk with Jesus and be a witness for Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. You are so good to us. Father, I pray for these young people, the blessings of God to so fill them and to so use them. Father, as they go out as sheep in the midst of wolves, Father, make them shrewd as serpents, yet innocent as doves. Let them walk in innocence before you. But Father, give them wisdom for the situation, for the situations where they will have to give an account for the hope that dwells within them. Father, so fill them to walk in these things, I pray. The blessings of God, I pray thee, be on their lives. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.